I want us to begin this morning by thinking about a question. That question is this, do you want to please God? Now, this is a question that no one can answer for you. It's a question that you have to answer yourself. Do you want to please God? Now, certainly there are many, many people in our culture that never would even consider this question. There are plenty of people that don't believe God exists. There are others that believe that there might be some kind of higher power, but He doesn't really care for us. He's not really involved with us. Uh, There's no reason why we should even seek to please Him. But what about you? Do you want to please God? Do you want to live a life that God commends? My guess is that most of us here, as believers, that that should be one of our heart's desires. Most of us want to please God, but we really don't know how to please Him. Or if we're truly honest with ourselves, we don't think that we actually do please God. Our lives are marked by sin and struggle. We fall short of who we want to be. We fall short of of the things that we know we should do. So what do we do about this? Maybe we try harder. You know, we make new commitments. We promise to read our Bible every day. We promise to, to pray more each week. And sometimes we just throw our hands up in the air and we just give up, don't we? Does any of that actually work? Is it possible for you to please God? Is it possible for us to live a life that God commends? And if it is, how do we do that? Well, the surprising answer that we find in God's Word is, yes, it is possible to please God. It is possible to live a life that God commends. And the way we do that is not what we would expect. And that is good news. And we're going to find this good news in Hebrews 11. So I invite you to stand as we read God's holy Word. And I'll be reading chapter 11, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your word, which is absolutely true. And we pray this morning that you might open our hearts and our minds and our ears, that we would see Jesus in a new and fresh way, and that we would exalt in our Savior this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So this year we have been working through the letter of Hebrews, and we now turn our attention to what is is probably the best known chapter in all of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11 is often called the Hall of Faith. It's, like, it's the list of like the, the MVPs of the Old Testament, you know, the most valuable patriarchs. 
I had to do that because Essen did that several weeks ago. Yeah, these are, these are men and women that were, had great faith. They were commended by, by, by God. They lived lives that were pleasing to Him. If you remember though, the last few weeks as we were working through the end of chapter 10, chapter 10 ends with some warnings about coming judgment. In verse 31 of chapter 10, we are warned that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But Hebrews also makes it clear that this fate is not for everyone. Those who have true enduring faith, they will be spared. Their lives will be preserved. Their souls would be preserved. We find that at the end of chapter 10. But that's why now the author turns his attention here in chapter 11 to many examples of saints that have had this enduring faith. These are many saints that have had their souls preserved because of their faith. So what do we do with all of these examples? Chapter 11 lists many, many different examples of men and women of great faith. How do we handle this chapter? Well, I want to start by giving us two warnings. The first is this, don't, don't skim over this chapter. Sometimes we are tempted when a chapter is so familiar to us that we just skim right through it. And not only is this a familiar chapter, but it contains lots of repetition. You're going to see over and over again the phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. Not only is it repetitious, but there's also a list of just lots of different names of people. And if you're anything like me, sometimes when you just see lists of people in the Bible, it's easy to sort of skim right through that. And because it's so repetitive, it's easy to skim right through that. And so there's a temptation to do that here, but we're not going to do that. Because there are many important truths found within these verses that aim to encourage us. And we don't want to miss them. This chapter is not simply a history lesson. It contains profound, life-changing truth. And so we're going to dig into these verses over the next many weeks. The second thing, the second warning, and really more importantly, is there's a temptation to study this chapter, to study these verses as nothing more than a list of object lessons. The point of this chapter is not to encourage you to be more like Abraham or to be more like Moses. Certainly, the men and women here in chapter 11 are set before us as examples to follow. You know, these men and women had great faith, and there's much that we can learn from them, but that is not the main point of this chapter. And the beginning of chapter 12 makes this very clear. If you look at uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we, we read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the, the men and women listed here in chapter 11, the ones that we're going to be studying over the next several weeks, are, are part of this great cloud of witnesses. These are people, they are examples of saints that have run this race of, of endurance that was set before them. They ran it well. But more importantly, what are they? What are they called? They're witnesses. And this begs the question, what are they witnesses of? They're witnesses of the power and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And this is what chapter 11 is really about. It is about God. It is about who He is and what He has done and what He has promised to do. And that is what I hope that we'll see this morning. 
And the two examples that we're going to be looking at today are Abel and Enoch. They are men that are commended for their faith. But before we look at these two men, we need to start where chapter 11 starts, and that is with faith. What is faith? Our culture defines faith as a feeling. Faith means you have a positive outlook on life. It's a belief that things will get better, that better things are coming. We oftentimes might put our faith in in our friends, our family, or maybe we'll put it in various organizations, and and we put our faith in those things with, with the hope that they will make our lives better and that they might make the world around us a better place to live. Oftentimes, we're also encouraged to put our faith in ourselves, right? To have faith in yourself, to believe in yourself. Because if you believe in yourself enough, you can become the person you are truly meant to be. If you believe in yourself, if you have enough faith in yourself, you can make your life better and you can finally be happy. You hear this talk all around us. This is what our culture feels about faith. At the bare minimum, our culture believes faith is just sort of a a happy, sort of wishful thinking that things will improve. Now, there's some truth to this kind of talk, but is that the kind of faith that pleases God? Is that the kind of faith that God commends? The answer is no. God defines faith differently. We see this in verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, this is not intended to be an exhausted definition of faith. There's there's much more to faith than even what's listed here. But it does help us understand the kind of faith that God desires from us. Verse 1 lists two attributes. It's the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things not seen. One looks forward to the future, and the other looks backwards to the past. Forward is the assurance of things hoped for, Uh, Backward is the conviction of things not seen. And I want to start with this second clause, with the conviction of things not seen. And that's what part of what faith is. It's the conviction of things not seen. So what does that mean? Well, things not seen is referring to all the things that God has already revealed about himself to his people. Just a small sampling. He's revealed that he is the creator, that God created all things out of nothing. He reveals that he is the covenant God. That he's made a covenant with his people, that he's promised to be their God and that they will be his people, and that he's committed to being their God. He has revealed himself to be the deliverer. He has delivered his people time and time again from all sorts of trials and difficulties and pain. And there are many other things that God has already revealed about himself. And faith is a conviction that this is all true even though we were not first-hand witnesses of any of these things. Verse 3 provides us with an, an example of this. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. So how, how do we know how the world was created? There are lots of theories about the origins of the universe, right? There are lots of theories about how things came to be. But they're only theories. Why? Because there are no eyewitnesses to creation. Now, science science certainly looks at all the evidence that can be seen, 
And based upon that evidence, makes claims about what this evidence teaches us about the origins of the world. But even that is still involves at some level some educated guessing. There are just some things that we just can't know for sure because no one was there to see them. And interestingly, the Bible teaches us that we can look at the evidence as well, that we can look all around at the created world and we find evidence of what? What do we see? According to the Bible, we see the fingerprints of God. All of creation declare the glory of God. We can look all around us and we can see His handiwork. Creation reveals that God exists and that He is good, that He is powerful, that He is beautiful. Paul makes this point very clear in Romans 1, but Paul also tells us there in Romans 1 that because of our, our sinful nature and our sinful flesh, we suppress that truth. But God's fingerprints are all over creation. But still, that still asks the question, how can we be sure that God created everything? How can we know? There were no witnesses. And God even makes this point when He replies to Job. We find this in Job 38. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? God's point is that only He knows how the world was created because He is the God who created it. There was no one else there. It was, it was God. The triune God was there when He created the world. He is the creator. He created all things out of nothing. So how can we be sure about that? It's because this is what He has revealed to us. There's no other way. We can be certain that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was made not out of things that are visible, because God has revealed that to us. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. It is conviction that God created the world out of nothing, even though there was no one there to witness it. It is a conviction that God is the Creator, and that His revelation about Himself is true. Now conviction, the word that's used here, it's, it's a strong word. It's more than just believing that everything God has said about Himself and everything that He has done is true. It's more than just believing that God is real and that His Word is true. It means that you believe with every ounce of your body that everything God has revealed is true. That you are utterly convinced that His Word is true. And that you will stake your life upon it. That is what conviction means. It's this deep-seated belief that what He has said and what He has revealed Himself is true, so much so that you are willing to stake your very life upon it. You absolutely believe that God is trustworthy and everything He said is true. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. But as we see in verse 1, it is also the assurance of things hoped for. And this points us forward. You know, there's much that God has already revealed about Himself. There's much that we know about what God has already done. And faith is believing that all of that is true. But there are also many things that God has promised to do. And faith is also believing that everything God has promised to do will be done. 
And once again, there's a strong word used here, assurance. Faith is not just a wishful thinking. Faith means that you are absolutely sure that God will do everything He has promised to do. He will not fail in one of His promises. It's the assurance of things hoped for. So how is this possible? How can we truly be sure that everything God has revealed is actually true? How can we know that all of His promises will be fulfilled? The answer to those questions leads us to the heart of faith. You see, the quality of your faith is not what matters most. What is most important is the object of your faith. What or who have you placed your faith in? And God calls us time and time again to put our faith in Him, not to put our faith in ourselves, not to put our faith in other people, not to put our faith in the Word, but ultimately put our faith in Him alone, that He should be the object of our faith. And it is the object of our faith that determines the quality and the power of that faith. Verse 6 actually alludes to this. Verse 6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, that He rewards those who seek Him. So true faith believes that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Faith in God is what matters most. So do you believe in Him? Do you trust God today? It is not just enough to believe that God exists. You must believe He is who He says He is. And we must believe that He is faithful and that He is good and that He loves us. And we must submit to Him and honor Him. Now, none of us can do this perfectly. But we must trust God to accept our feeble and weak faith and for Him to perfect it. This is what the Old Testament saints listed here in this chapter did. This is how they pleased God. This is how they lived lives that were commended by God. They were convinced that God is true. And they believed that everything God has revealed about Himself at that point in their lives was true. And they clung to His promises, believing that He will fulfill every one of His promises. They trusted in God and His provision. Ultimately, they believed that God would one day send His Messiah who would defeat all of their enemies, who would make all things right, who would perfect their faith, and who would establish an eternal kingdom, that they, and they would be with Him in that kingdom. Their assurance of things hoped for was Jesus. Their faith was in Jesus. But verse 1 also applies to us. However, here's the interesting thing is, is when we look back, we are actually looking back to what Jesus has done, what He has already done. Faith is the conviction that Jesus has come, that He was real, that He lived a perfect, fully pleasing life to His Father, that He died an atoning death on the cross, and that He rose victoriously over sin, death, and, and Satan on the third day. Faith ultimately is the conviction that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. It's the conviction that Jesus really is your only hope. But it is also the assurance that He will return. And when Jesus returns, death and sin will be no more. 
and that we will live with Him in the new heavens and new earth. When the Bible talks about faith, the focus is on the object of faith more than it is on the instrument of faith. Faith in Jesus is what really matters. How, the quality of your faith, the strength of your faith, that's important, but it is secondary to the object of your faith. What matters most is what is your faith in, or who is your faith in? Is your faith in Jesus? And what does faith in Jesus accomplish? Look at verse 2. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And this is true for us as well. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they were all commended by God because of their faith. And this can be true for us as well. If you want to live a life that is commended by God, you must have faith in Jesus. If you want to please Him, you must have faith in Jesus. But here's the radical thing. It is impossible, well, it is impossible to believe God uh, without faith. But it is also impossible not to please God if you have faith. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. We see this in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And this is so important for us to understand because there are many things that we might do to try to please God. I said we might read, seek to read our Bible more, pray more. We might seek to be a better husband or a better wife. We might seek to be a better father or mother. We might try to be better neighbors. We might try to, to live just a good life in the hope that God will recognize our good works and He'll commend us for those good works and He'll accept us and love us because of our good works. But what does God say? He says, without faith, what? It is impossible to please Him. It doesn't matter how hard you try to be a good person. It doesn't matter how much good you do in this world. If you do not have faith, you will not please God. You will not be commended by Him. And that is a startling reality. That goes against the way we are wired. It goes against the way we tend to think about life. But deep down, all of us know that this is true. Deep down, all of us know that it is impossible for us to please God in our own strength. Because sin has condemned and corrupted us. But God knows this. He knows this about you. He knows this about sin. And that is why He sent Jesus. Jesus lived a life that was pleasing to God. He was committed by Him. And by faith, you are united to Him. Which means that His life becomes your life. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus lived a perfectly pleasing life to His Father. And by faith, His life is now your life. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. However, with faith, it is impossible not to please God. Why? Because Jesus pleased God. And you are united to Him by faith. So whatever struggles you are facing, whatever sins you are wrestling with, whatever dark secrets you are hiding, no matter how unlovable you might feel, if you have faith in Jesus, you are pleasing to God. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. He loves you. He is pleased with you. Why? Because He loves His Son. And He is pleased with His Son. And you are united to Him in faith. It is only possible because of faith in Christ. 
But here's the amazing part. Faith is a free gift. It's a free gift given to us by Jesus. We don't deserve it. There's no way we can earn it. It is a gift of grace given to you out of love. And whether your faith is strong or whether it is as small and weak as a mustard seed, as long as your faith is in Jesus, you will be commended by God. That is an amazing truth. Now the first example of faith that we're given in this chapter is Abel. Uh, we'll, we'll see him in verse 4. So let's turn our attention to verse 4, which says this, By faith, Abel offered to God, uh, sorry, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. Cain and Abel, they were the first children of Adam and Eve, so they're part of the second generation of all humanity. And we find more about them in, in Genesis 4. I'm just going to read for us uh, verses 2 through 5 of Genesis 4, which says this. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain is a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So, so both Cain and Abel, they brought offerings to the Lord as part of their worship. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. Why? Now, there's been lots of speculation over the years why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. Probably the most common thing, and I'm sure many of you have heard this as well, uh, the most common answer given is that Abel's offering involved a, a blood sacrifice, the killing of an animal, uh, and that's why it was acceptable. You know, since he was a tender of the flock, in order to bring one of his, his sheep, he had to obviously kill that sheep as an offering to the Lord. And, and we know the Old Testament is replete with instructions and examples of animal sacrifices. The shedding of blood is an important component of those sacrifices because it points to the need of blood atonement. Ultimately, these sacrifices pointed to Jesus and His shed blood upon the cross. So did Abel have some understanding about this and Cain did not? Well, we can't say for sure because the Bible doesn't tell us. Here's a few things, other things to consider. You know, both Cain and Abel, they gave offerings from their perspective work. You know, Abel, he worked with animals, so he gave an offering from his flock. Cain, he worked the ground, and so he gave an offering from the ground. There's nothing inherently wrong with, with either one of those. Secondly, the Old Testament sacrificial system included, yes, lots of animal sacrifices, but also included grain sacrifices, sacrifices from the land. So there's nothing inherently wrong with the type of sacrifice made by Cain or the type of sacrifice made by Abel. And so that leads us back to the question, why did God have regard for Abel's offering and not for Cain's? Hebrews 11 provides the answer. Abel's offering, his act of worship, was made by faith. The implication is that Cain did not make his offering by faith. There's another clue given to us in the Genesis account. Abel, he gave of the firstborn of his flock, he gave of the fat portions. In other words, he offered the first and the best of all he had. And that was a sign of his faith. He gave God his best because he felt and believed that God was worthy of his best. 
He also gave of his best because he trusted that God would continue to bless him and provide for him. So he was willing to make a sacrifice. And Cain did not. So what was the result of Abel's faith? He was commended as righteous. However, that doesn't mean that life suddenly became easy for Abel. His faith was commended, but it was also costly. Because look at the end of verse 4. It says, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel died. And if you know the story, you know, Cain was so angry that he committed the first ever murder in human history and he killed his brother. Abel's faith was commended, but it also cost him his life. We can learn from this. Worship is a gift from the Lord. He calls us into His presence, and He allows us into His presence through Jesus, His Son. Therefore, true and proper worship must be done in faith. Just as God is the object of our faith, He is also the object of our worship. It's all about Him, and it's not about us. And if we truly believe that God is who He says He is, and that we can trust Him, then we are able to worship Him through Christ by giving Him our best and our first fruits. Do you give God your best? Do you give Him the best of your time and your talents and your money? Do you give Him the best of your heart? Because this is what He deserves. And this is what faith enables us to do. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's costly. It requires sacrifice. Faith leads us to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. Jesus gives us the gift of faith. He gives us the gift of worship. And He also gives us the gift of life. This leads us to our second example found in this passage, which is Enoch. And we see this in verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Enoch is one of the more interesting characters in the Old Testament. There's not a lot that we know about him. His story is found in Genesis 5. Uh, verses 21 through 24 says this, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. That's about all we know. Enoch is one of two people that did not have to taste death. Elijah was the other one. The reason why God spared Enoch's death was because he was commended as having pleased God. He was able to please God because he walked in faith. That is all we can really know. Enoch believed in God. He loved God. He trusted in God. He was convicted of things not seen and assured of things hoped for. Enoch had faith in God. And because Enoch had true faith in God, he was able to please him and he was commended by him. And here is an amazing truth. As I've already said, you can also please God. You can be commended by him. If you walk in faith, what is true about Enoch will be true for you. Now let me, on a side, say I am not promising any of you that you're going to escape death. That would be great. 
But Abel already, the example of Abel already shows us that faith does not guarantee you a get-out-of-death-free card. All of us will die unless Jesus returns first. But you are promised life, as Enoch was promised life. Enoch's life is not only an example of faith, but it serves another purpose. It foreshadows the resurrection. Death does not have the final word. Jesus does. And if you have faith in Him, you will not ultimately die. Yes, your body will die and decay, but you will live on for all eternity with Christ. And if you have faith in Christ, you will please God, and you will be commended by Him. And you will not taste spiritual death, because you will live with Him for all eternity, and this is good news. And it is only possible because of Jesus. You see, this whole chapter, this whole section that we're reading, it points to Jesus. Just take a second and look at the verses that we're studying again. Verses 1 and 2, faith is a gift. We read in chapter 12 that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. That gift of faith comes from Him. Verse 3, God created all things out of nothing. Scripture tells us time and time again that Jesus is also the creator because Jesus is God in the flesh. Verse 4, worship is a gift from the Lord. Jesus is the one who enables us to enter the presence of God, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Verse 5, life is a gift. Jesus came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. In verse 6, it is possible with faith to please God. Jesus was commended by His Father. His life was pleasing to Him. And by faith, your life is also pleasing to God. And you will live a life commended by Him. So let me start again with that question I began with. Do you want to please God? Do you want to please God? Then have faith in Christ. Turn your eyes to Him, and you will please Him. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we are so grateful for the gift of faith that through faith we can worship you in spirit and truth. Through faith we know that we have life and life eternal. Through faith we know that we live lives that are pleasing to you and commendable by you. But Lord, let us never lose sight that it is not the quality of our faith that matters most. It is not whether or not we have strong or weak faith. What matters most is that our faith is in Jesus. For it is through Jesus that we are able to please you. It is through Jesus that we are able to worship you. It is through Jesus that we are able to live forever in your presence in the new heavens and new earth. Help us to fix our eyes upon him and to exalt him as our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.